Hey, you're listening to In the Thick. This is a podcast about politics, race, and culture from a POC perspective. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. All right, so guess what? What? Yeah, Futuro Media, the company that I created, right? <laughs> the best thing you do. Is that we give our entire staff a summer break. So um, everybody's off for a full week. Thank you. Paid. Thank you. Thank well, you, Maria Hinojosa. We love to do this. Julio, what are you going to do? I'm dropping my daughter to college. Whee! And then I'm going to go see my dad in Florida, my brothers, and I think we're going to play a couple of rounds of golf. Great. And <laughs> I'll be writing a book in Punta Cana with my family. Not bad. We're very lucky. Very, very blessed people. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is that we wanted to bring you some of our favorite episodes of this year. Right. We wanted to treat you all, our listeners. And many of you wrote in after this episode that we're about to listen to. You wrote in to tell us how moved you were by this episode. The title of this episode is The LGBT Community is the Fabric of America. And Shelby Chestnut, National Organizing and Policy Strategist with the Transgender Law Center. And also Veronica Valletti Flores, who's a freelance writer and co-host of the podcast Radio Menea. And we actually have some updates that we're going to share at the end of this episode. All right. So enjoy and we'll talk to you in a minute. The media oftentimes wants to portray a really white, really wealthy, really well-educated white gay man. But that's not really the reality of most LGBT people's lives. Joining us in our very tiny Harlem studios is Shelby Chestnut, national organizing and policy strategist with the Transgender Law Center. Hey, Shelby, welcome to the show. Hi, so glad to be here. And also joining us in Harlem is Veronica Valletti Flores. She's a freelance writer. She's an immigrant, which means she's got 12 jobs, including (laughs) co-host of Radio Menea. Welcome back, Veronica. Thanks for having me back on. So today we're going to be talking about what's happening in the LGBTQ community and in the rights movement. And so we're going to start the show a little different, uh, but understanding that this is actually something we should all get used to doing, which is saying what our preferred pronouns are. So my preferred pronouns are she and her and cabrona sometimes. <laughs> Julio, what, what about you? He and him. Okay. Shelby? I prefer gender neutral pronouns or anything respectful. So what would be a gender neutral You can pronoun? say like they, them okay. or just my name. Okay, cool. Veronica? I use she, her. Cool. All right, so for the meat of our conversation, talking about what's happening with the LGBTQ community, because essentially the Trump administration has made it so much easier now to legally discriminate against this community. Despite increased visibility, there is pretty much a systematic deprivation of rights and the othering of this community. Mm. Let's start kind of broad, Shelby. Can you give us some context about what's important for us to understand in terms of um, the trans and the LGBT community? Right now, we're seeing, I think, intense threats on the federal level almost daily. The Trump administration and his friends are um, rolling back protections for trans people, many of which were Obama-era protections. Um, And then sadly, I think what happens on a state level is the sort of increased visibility, heightened sort of violence and vitriol language that's thrown at trans people transpires into anti-trans policies on the state level. So there's a number of anti-trans policies around the country in different states and municipalities um, that are targeting trans people. And a lot of them are focused on bathroom use because it's a way to sort of think about public accommodations. Mm. We had a huge win in Alaska on Friday with um, Anchorage, Alaska, defeated an anti-trans bathroom use measure, 
a young 19-year-old trans girl was one of the main staff really leading that campaign. So looking at youth and looking at trans leadership, like, wow, what a moment to make sort of national headlines in Anchorage, Alaska. Mm -hmm. Bravo, Alaska, is all I'm saying. (laughs) Veronica, what about for you? I mean, again, you identify on multiple levels because you're an immigrant woman, queer, Mm -hmm. media personality and such. So what's kind of at the top of the list for you? Well, I keep thinking about all of the vitriol around immigrants that the Trump administration has brought. And I think especially for LGBTQ people and LGBTQ immigrants and undocumented folks, um, it makes things extremely scary and um, and really unstable, right? Particularly because I think that for LGBTQ people of color, there's already so much that's happening in terms of discrimination. LGBTQ people of color are more likely to be poor. They're more likely to be homeless. They're more likely to Mm. have to resort to underground economies for sources of of income because of just widespread discrimination. And that puts a target on folks and it makes them more likely to be caught up with the police. And that makes it more likely for you to be caught in the immigration dragnet, right? And then once you get into detention, then that's a whole other set of issues. If you are um, queer or trans and an immigrant, that the moments when you're kind of fighting for your visibility by being visible, yeah, that's what then leads you to be a target. So, you know, how can the media do a better job covering the LGBT community and what's been problematic in the recent coverage or even coverage that's been going on for the last decade or whenever? So prior to working at TLC, I worked for an anti-violence organization for a number of years, so focusing solely on LGBT violence. Mm -hmm. The questions that would get repeatedly asked are questions around people's transition, their genitalia. And it's like, we're talking about a dead person. Like, why in God's good name are you asking me or any of my colleagues a question around our genitalia? That just seems odd and vastly inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, it's like, I think... What I've seen recently is really actually the media and reporters really leading the charge and thinking about how do we talk about the issues impacting LGBT people, especially trans people. The media oftentimes wants to portray a really wealthy, really well-educated, like white gay man. But that's not really the reality of most LGBT people's lives. And, you know, talking about how there are LGBT immigrants, like, God forbid, we would connect these two issues. And these are people living in our communities. They're fabrics of the society. And it's really why a lot of the work that we're doing at the Transgender Law Center has focused on thinking about immigrant communities who are transgender and thinking about communities of color who are experiencing the highest rates of violence of any other community and really pushing those narratives to be out in the public so that media can sort of use their platform to push these stories out and humanize people while they're alive instead of after death. Yeah. So let's talk about that exact point, Shelby. Glad recently called for an increased and accurate media coverage of transgender murders. And let me just drop a couple of statistics here. In the United States, one in 19,000 people is murdered every year. But for young black trans women, the reality is one in 2,600. That's according to a report by Mike's on a race series which has tracked trans murders since 2010 and found that last year, 26 trans people were murdered. Most were trans women of color. This number is likely higher because authorities and media are going to misgender victims. 
And the government and police don't collect statistics on trans murders. So what's going on here? Where is the public outcry? I mean, Shelby says the media is getting more responsible, but it's still not making most headlines, right? So, Veronica, how do we shift away from focusing on the numbers to humanizing this crisis of trans homicides? Yeah, well, Julio, I think that if I knew how to make everybody enraged about all the things that I'm enraged about, <laughs> I think we, I'd, I'd be winning here. So that's I a know, really Lord. good question. I don't have the answer to it. But I do think that it is really important that we keep talking about it. One of the things that's dangerous about visibility is we think about visibility as inherently a good thing, but what happens at the beginning of visibility campaigns is that you get blowback from mm -hmm. people and there's consequences to that. And that means for a lot of people, deaths, right? So it's about also keeping the people in our community safe, right? Like watching out for people, standing up as a bystander if you see anything. But it's it's a scary thought. And there's so much that needs to be done. So many more systemic interventions, things like addressing poverty, things like addressing job discrimination, right? That make it so that folks are in more danger than they would otherwise be. What this president has done from day one, for example, the Department of Health and Human Services removed LGBT language from its documents. The president did not recognize Pride Month last year. Um, and then you have the Trump administration's recent revised policy to ban transgender people from serving in the military that just kind of seemed to have come out from nowhere of the president's Twitter feed. So how is this presidency, Shelby, impacting um, the LGBT community? I think it's having devastating effects. I think people are scared. I, in in my lifetime, I'm 36. I've not seen people like scared to post things publicly or scared to leave the house, mm. even in places like New York City, which vows to be a sanctuary city and has done very little to prove something like that. Right. There's also a moment where we're seeing the leadership and the intersectionality of this movement in ways that we have not seen before, that people are connecting the dots and they're making room and taking room, essentially, to have conversations about what it means to be trans and what it means to be an immigrant and what it means to be black and trans and what it means to be a queer woman of color. And, you know, the list goes on. And I think the movement is really making some strides to shift that narrative, that it's a super white, super educated movement, when in fact it's... It's literally the fabric of America. It's it's everyone. And, you know, that includes white, educated trans people. That includes, like, working class, southern trans people, people of color, immigrants. And how do we sort of leverage our resources, as small as they may be, to make sure that those folks are in the leadership positions? And, you know, looking around the country this last election, it's like people like Andrea Jenkins in Minnesota, a black mm -hmm. trans woman who's bisexual, was elected to city council like— that's pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> and like, yo, lead the way, Minnesota, you know, is what I'm talking about. Of all about. places, right? Hey. Like the whitest place on earth has a black trans woman <laughs> who's openly bisexual, like leading a, a, a very large district in the city. And what does it mean when we put forward those leaders to really change sort of how we're talking about these things? It's amazing. Veronica, I mean, Trump, you and I immediately look at each other just because we weren't born in this country. And so right. it's just like, oh, my God. But. You're a queer woman as well. So mm -hmm. what what when Trump's policies, they kind of come at you very directly in multiple ways. Definitely when Trump got elected, I fielded many tearful <laughs> phone calls from family members, um, 
Thankfully, my dad is one of these immigrants that sees risk like 10 years ahead and coerced me into becoming a U.S. citizen. So I don't have that. Uh, I don't have that worry now. Smart dad. And my, my family doesn't have that worry now because he was really insistent that we all do that and we have the privilege to do so. What I do have a lot of fear for on a more daily basis is for uh, folks that uh, that our friends are in my community that are either undocumented or that are, um, you know, are permanent residents but not U.S. citizens. And I think about them a lot. I think about how precarious that is. And when I think about what is happening at the federal level in terms of legislation and with Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act, was a, a set of protections that really protected a lot of folks to not face discrimination in healthcare, especially trans people, um, but a lot of different groups of people. And, and those rollbacks make me really nervous. I keep hearing the word fear a lot. That's crazy. No it's matter, so true. No matter the community. I want to get more personal here. What are some specific stories that speak to the seriousness of these issues? Because we all talk about issues and policies but what's the real human impact of these? But Anika, you just mentioned the Affordable Care Act. How has that affected you personally? Well, when I think about that and when I think about protections in healthcare, I think about a time when I was sick and I was like, I need to go to the ER right now. My partner was like, I'll take you. This was maybe eight years ago. And mm. the way that they um, addressed my partner at the time felt very, very homophobic. I think that if I'd had a husband present, they would have let them stay by my side. But what needed to happen instead was that because uh, Vita was my partner, she had to come in once for 15 minutes every two hours. And so I was alone the rest of the time. And it was just wow. so scary to be in so much pain, not know what was happening to me, and to feel like when... She was asking questions because I was incapacitated and then drugged. They were sort of giving her the runaround. And in the eight years since then, I felt like should something happen to me like that again, mm -hmm. maybe it was going to be different. But I'm not as certain now. What about you, Shelby? So just for anyone who can't see me, I am almost six feet tall. I... I'm half Native American. I'm half white. I look very white to most people. Most of the time, I think people see me as like a cisgender white man in the world. You know, and there's moments, I think, walking around New York City as someone who's white passing and very masculine looking with my partner who's feminine. She's a dark woman. She's an immigrant where it's like the sort of hatred that people react to the two of us together, one, that we're together, but then two, the racism I think that she's experiencing it's those constant reminders of just how even in a, in a city that's so sort of progressive and we all, we all flock here for these reasons that those things happen. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, I, f I travel the country for work, uh, you know, spend about half the year on the road. And I'm often in these like battleground states where there's anti-trans ballot measures. And it's like sort of do I take the sort of initiative to try and blend in as much as possible? Do I like assert my transness, my gayness, my queerness? So, you know, like the TSA is like a never ending battle mm. of it's like they wand me through like six times. They're like, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, do you have a bomb on you? I'm like, I do not have a bomb wow. on me. Like, get Wait, the but why are they doing that? 
basically when you go through the the TSA, like the metal scanners, like Mm -hmm. they pre-select the gender that they put you through. And if they select male and I go through, it goes off as like a faulty thing. So then I have to like talk in like some like high lady voice. And I'm like, you may want to rescan me. (laughs) And I'm just like, are you kidding me? It's like I go to the airport like three hours early because it'll be an ordeal. That's wow. Okay. That happens to my partner every single time we fly. One time we were in Fort Lauderdale and they basically went on a loudspeaker and were like, groin anomaly, come in for a groin anomaly. Oh my God. I'm never going to complain about TSA again. (laughs) But it is important to think about, yeah, how it touches us personally. So um, for me, I guess the thing that I'm thinking about a lot are um, two issues. So one, um, on our other podcast, Latino USA, we're about to drop our exclusive interview with um, Estrella, um, who is a trans Mexican undocumented woman who was taken from the courtroom in El Paso, Texas. Um, so that's one story is Estrella. And then um, I'm documenting and I'm saying it publicly because they want it public. Um, the transition story of um, my former student. From DePaul University, uh, their name is Marina, and on Instagram it's at OKDude, O K D O O D, and they're very public about being. Look, I am, um, I am a privileged uh, Latinx. I have access to surgery. Just had top surgery, um, taking hormones, and so they want to talk about the fact that not everybody has access to this kind of privilege. Yeah, and what do you do when you're trying to fit into your body? I didn't know that it would be so personal, and yet it is. What about for you, Julio? We could we could talk about Trump, and we can talk about things like that, but we also need to talk about the fact that this is ingrained in how we grew up, in and how you know these cultures have been imposed on us. So, coming from Puerto Rico, where I was born and raised, I think about this all the time. The violence against that community where I'm from is essentially rooted in colonialism and the patriarchy. We're going to move on to our final segment, which we call La Ultima y Nos Vamos. And it's basically the last one before you go or last call. So we've been talking about some of the challenges um, that the LGBTQ community is fighting against. Um, But, you know, this is a community that is deeply resilient and um, and there have been. A lot of successes, like Shelby mentioned, this uh, voters in Alaska. There was another electoral success in Costa Rica this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the center-left candidate, Carlos Alvarado Quesada, uh, was voted into presidency, basically defeating the conservative candidate who campaigned against gay marriage. Right. And recently, uh, there was a federal court in Puerto Rico that ruled in the first federal lawsuit of its kind that trans people can change the gender on their birth mm-hmm. certificate. So, Veronica, what would victory be for you? I think one of the things that I'm really concerned about right now is um, a bill that hasn't even reached the president's desk. It's hoping to address sex trafficking by amending the communications laws by saying that a website can be responsible and can be held legally responsible if there's sex trafficking happening on their website. So what's happening in anticipation of this is that websites where a lot of sex workers have been 
posting ads instead of going to more dangerous places to find work are taking their pages down. And I think that that is really, really putting people in danger. It's, it's taking people's incomes out from under them. And it's also not addressing the root cause of trafficking, which is poverty, right? Like what mm. makes somebody vulnerable to being trafficked? It's not an ad or the existence of a web page. It's the fact that there's so much vulnerability already that somebody can prey on that, right? It would be really big for folks experiencing violence right now. Shelby. I mean, I think we had a win last week. So it's amazing what good news will do for the soul and just humanity. Um, as we sort of wrap down in Alaska, thinking about their similar ballot measures in the state of Montana and Massachusetts, and what would it mean to put forward the leadership and the resources necessary to defeat those bills? You know, I'd also be remiss to not talk about the the caravan coming to the U.S. right now at, to the Mexico border, and many of whom are trans. And we successfully worked with a trans caravan in August as they entered the U.S., and many of them have been paroled as they wait asylum, which is an unprecedented win in this mm. moment. I mean, that would have been unprecedented in Obama-era mm. immigration, but let alone Trump. Yeah. And what it means to get trans people out of detention um, while they wait their sort of immigration hearings, whether it's asylum or trafficking or whatnot. So what are we sort of doing to disrupt this narrative that, like, policies are what's going to protect us? No, it's people that's going to protect us. It's knowing your community. People are looking out for each other. So I feel hopeful. Mm. And and in that spirit, um, because of the fact that the number of trans folks who are killed— Um, We're going to say their names, Um, and these are the names of transgender people who were killed in 2018. Sasha Wall, Amia Tyre, Felicia Mitchell, Zachariah Fry, Celine Walker, Tanya Harvey, also known as Kita, Krista Leigh Steele-Nudsline, and Vicky Gutierrez. And Mike's Unerased Project has documented and reported on these homicides And if you see a news story that misgenders a transgender victim or publishes details about their personal life irrelevant to their murder, you can contact GLAAD at transgender at G-L-A-A-D dot O-R-G. Shelby Chestnut, National Organizing and Policy Strategist with the Transgender Law Center, and Veronica Valletti-Flores, co-host of Radio Medea. Thanks to the both of you for joining us on this really super, super important conversation. We're so thankful. Thank Thank you. you for having us, Maria. We are sure that the LGBT community is the fabric of America. In fact, it's being proven to us kind of on a daily. Mm. And the LGBT community is like seriously kicking some ass right about now. Uh, My friends at Pose, we interviewed them on Latino USA. They just got renewed for season two of Pose on FX. And it stars the largest ever transgender actors ensemble ever in in history. And they had the first time that a transgender person, Janet Mock, wrote and directed a a primetime episode. So they're like breaking boundaries. And you're like just down with I love Pose. And there was other great news that happened out of Vermont. Christine Halquist, she's a Democrat. She became the first transgender candidate to be nominated for governor by a major party. 
Yes. In fact, a record number of LGBT candidates, more than 400, are running for office in the midterms in November. Most are Democrats who are running specifically against the Trump administration and its policies. Right. And even with with all those all those candidates running, we need to remind you that according to a, a report by the LGBT advocacy group called Human Rights Campaign, at least 129 anti LGBT bills were introduced across 30 states during this 2017 state legislative season. And Maria, get this, at least 12 of these have become laws. Yeah. So it just, you know, it's typical in the United States, like we're seeing all of this progress and then you're seeing all of this retroceso, this like kind of backwards backwards movement. Backwards movement. Um, And, you know, it, it means that all of this is, of course, facing a lot of challenges. In July, the Justice Department argued that a major federal civil rights law does not protect employees from discrimination based on sexual orientation. And of course, we can't forget Trump's transgender military ban. So this is a community that isn't going away, that is a fabric of the country, but is still fighting for its basic civil and human rights. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And remember, my dear listener, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. Takes you like a second but it'll stay with us forever. Do that. Also, talk to your friends and your family about us because that's how they find new podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook. And, you know, for the credits, In The Thick is produced by Juan Pablo Garnum, Stephanie LeBeau, and Nicole Rothwell. Our theme music is Comencemos by Jungle Fire. The music that you heard is courtesy of Nacional Kept and CZK Records. We'll see you next time on our next episode of In The Thick. Thanks for listening. Nos vemos. Ciao. And then they're, <clears throat> all right, frog, <clears throat> go away. Froggy, froggy. Froggy.